0: Church really isn't a spectator sport. It's an uh, all play, all school uh, that's why we that's why I ask every week why we when we meet, if you guys have anything that you'd like to say or any scripture that you'd like to read or any hymns that you'd like to sing, is because this isn't just come and watch the preacher day. So uh, That's why we always do that. And that's why at the end of the messages we always ask for questions and corrections and rebukes, because it's an open it's an open thing. The preacher isn't the main thing. All right. Well, if you would then turn with me this morning uh, over to Romans chapter four. Romans chapter four. Um, some passages of scripture that's been on my mind the last couple of days on the outset I'll just say it again, I've said it here before of uh the importance number one of the Holy Spirit being the teacher uh The word of God, the scriptures, uh, are not able to be understood in their spiritual sense, in their right, correct application and sense without the spirit of God teaching us. And the spirit of God teaches us whenever the spirit of God is in us. So not everybody is taught of God. Not everybody has the understanding or the mind of Christ? Not everybody is able to understand and believe the gospel uh, because they do not have that spiritual teaching. Uh, that's very clear throughout Scripture. Jesus made that very clear in John, in the Book of John. Whenever He was speaking to the religious leaders there, because there were some that were not believing, and Jesus made very clear. You don't believe because you're not my sheep. And we're going to get into some of that Lord willing maybe this morning. But he said there is a distinction. There is believers and there is non-believers. These are groups of people. They are distinguished by their activity. They're distinguished by the grace that has been bestowed upon them. They are a believer. Or they are not a believer they are of God or they're not of God they are sheep or they are goats they are the seed of Christ or they are the seed of Satan they are a vessel of glory or they are a vessel of wrath they are a vessel of, uh, uh, of salvation or they are a vessel of destruction there are two groups of people. There are those whom the Lord, before the foundation of the world, yes. has set his love upon. And before anything was ever done, the Bible says their names were written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Meaning, what's the Lamb's Book of Life? The Lamb's Book of Life. Now, is it a physical book? I don't know. Does God need to write things down in a book? No, he knows everything. He's omniscient. These are terms, these are things that are given to us to help us understand, to visualize, okay? Uh, They're for us to grasp as God gives us understanding of these things. But is there actually something there? I don't know, maybe there is. We'll know one of these days. However, the Bible says, that before the foundation of the world there were names written down and there were names that were not written down. That's, I believe, over in Revelation somewhere. I can't right off the top of my head remember the passage verses. But in Revelation it says those whose names were not written down in the Lamb's book of life. And so that right there precludes the fact that there were names written down in the Lamb's book of life. So if there were names written down, and names not written down, and God was the one who made that choice, who chose to write these down and these not down, then that is God's determination on both destinies of people. Those whose names were written down were written down in the Lamb's book of life. They would be the ones who would be given life. They were ordained To eternal life. Those whose names were not written down. In the Lamb's book of life. Were ordained to eternal death. One was for salvation. One was for destruction. God had a purpose. For his glory. In creating those who were for. The salvation. He had a purpose in those who would be for. Destruction, the Bible says that God has created all things, yea, even the wicked, for the day of destruction, for the day of evil, for the day that he would show his wrath upon them. So God has made a delineation before the foundation of the world. He has split all of his creatures, as far as mankind is concerned, into those who are his, and those who are his was given to Christ, are those who are not his, and those, they are Satan's. Now, that's not the topic that I would like to talk about today, um, but that is the truth of scripture. And so as that being the truth of scripture, there are some things that we need to understand, as I mentioned a while ago. When we come to God's word, Without the Spirit's teaching, we can't know what these things are talking about. What what the Bible talks about. The spiritual application of these things. Second of all, when we come to God's Word, we must look at it in its entirety. In its full context. We must look at it and if there's something that contradicts something else, or if there's something that is being preached and it contradicts God's Word, and there's nowhere in Scripture that that contradiction is ever removed, then we're wrong. Something's wrong. Uh, Brother Tom Armstrong made that clear yesterday in our men's breakfast. He said, you know, whenever I search Scripture, I come across something. It doesn't seem right. It seems to contradict something else that I know. I know one thing is a fact. He said, God's Word is not contradictory. God can't contradict himself because he is truth and truth doesn't contradict itself. The only way that something can be contradictory is if something's right and something's wrong or something is both wrong but you can't have something right and something wrong and they both be in agreement. You can't have that either both of them are right both of them are wrong one of them is right, one of them is wrong right? So if God says something and it seems to be contradictory, that cannot be. Because God cannot contradict himself. So what does that mean? Well, if there's a contradiction in what we understand, or what we read, or what we hear, then somebody is in misunderstanding. Someone does not have any understanding As to what is being said. Right? That's all it can be. Because we know God's word is not contradictory. We know that it doesn't lie. We know that it doesn't say one thing here. And then all of a sudden it says just the opposite over here. If there's not any way for that to be reconciled. And it remains a contradiction. The contradiction is in the mind of whoever is listening. The contradiction is in whoever it is that is Saying it. The contradiction comes on man's part. Let God be true and every man a liar. Everything that God says is truth. Not everything that man says is truth. And the only truth that man can ever say is the truth that God has already revealed. So, brethren, it all comes down to this is a spiritual book. We are spiritual people if we are the children of God. We are spiritual people. And these things are, are understood in spiritual understanding. Understood in spiritual ways. By spiritual teaching. Okay, So whenever we come to the Word of God, we have to take everything that the Word of God says and whenever we find that one place in the Scripture doesn't line up with what somewhere else in Scripture is saying, then there is a contradiction And that contradiction is on my understanding. So what do I do? I pray and I ask the Lord to give me clarity on this. I seek the scriptures and I search the scriptures. And I continue praying that the Lord would reveal this, that the Lord would teach this to me. Lord, this right here doesn't seem to jive with what you said over here. Or this preacher here is saying this, but what I'm reading in scripture... It it seems to me to be something different. Can you give me clarity on that? Can you give me understanding on that? Because I know that the contradiction is in my understanding and is not in your word. And so we pray that the Holy Spirit would give us that understanding. Now I say all that because whenever we come to the scriptures, most of us, if not all of us, in some way or another, we have predispositions. Does everybody know what a predisposition is? Know what a disposition is? If I have a predisposition or a uh, if I presuppose something, that means I already have a mindset towards it. Right? I'm already disposed, predisposed to this. That means I'm already leaning that direction, or I'm already influenced in this way, or I'm already uh, thinking like this. That's what a predisposition is. We have predispositions. Why? Because of the way that we're raised, because of the way that we, what we listen to, what we read, what we find as entertainment. All these things are information that is coming into us. And all this information that comes into us can affect the way that we think. Now, none of this can override anything that God does. I'm not saying that it's superior to God. But what I'm saying is we have all these influences in our lives. And me teaching you children, growing up the scriptures and teaching you correct doctrine, correcting incorrect doctrine, that isn't me thinking that I can implant that into your mind and that you're going to be able to understand that I'm doing that because the Lord has commanded me to raise up my children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. But I'm to train them, uh, train you up in the way that you should go I to, to teach you the things of scripture, the truth to proclaim the gospel. Now, Whether or not that comes to an understanding than you guys and anybody else here, uh, that's up to the Lord. That's up to Him to give that. But whenever we train, we influence, right? Now that's why it's important that we train through God's Word and not through philosophy. That's why it's important that we don't train through, you know, secular uh psychologists and sociologists and all these kind of things. That's why it's good that we don't train in the curriculums of the schools because these are all man-made institutions and they're all done through the natural man. That's why we do these things as we train and influence you in these things. Now, that's not going to make any difference in your life. It's not going to save you. It's not going to do anything. Only Christ can do that. But that is an influence. And so how we are raised is an influence on us. And so our mind begins to mold in that. So there may be times whenever we come and we hear something. And we hear it over and over and over again to the point that, well, that's got to be the truth. And then we hear that. Now, all of a sudden, we come and we hear somebody preaching or we read. We're sitting and we're studying our Bibles, which I hope you guys do. We study our scriptures and then we see, man, that right there does not sound like what my dad was preaching last week. That something's wrong. But if that's the case, you know you're wrong, not me. that's That's not true either. If I say anything that's against scripture, I need to know that. I need to be corrected about that. Okay, with scripture. But whenever you hear those things and you go and you see the Word of God is saying this and the Holy Spirit is teaching you these things, then we have to put away those presuppositions, those predispositions. We need to put those away and we need to submit ourselves to the Word of God as the truth because this is the truth. We're not, right? Now... There are, in this world, many theological systems, okay? Now, we usually group these theological systems into two groups, right? You hear me speak of this often. You know, we break them into two groups. There's Arminianism, and then there's the Doctrines of Grace. Some people call it Calvinism. We don't call it Calvinism because we don't care anything about Calvin or Calvinist or Anything about that stuff. Or someone would call it Arminian and Reformed. Well, we don't call ourselves reformed either. We're not reformed. We're not uh, we don't didn't come from the Reformation. We don't believe anything about the Reformation to be that much really helpful to to be honest with you. It clouded the waters more than anything. Uh, but anyway, we don't consider ourselves reformed, but doctrines of grace would be good, you know, sovereign grace. That's why we call ourselves sovereign grace, bandit. But we group ourselves in two things, Arminians or Sovereign Gracers. But even within those, there are different groups of people, even among the Sovereign Grace people. That's why I say, and there's some that are Reformed that say that they believe in Sovereign Grace, but yet we believe different than they do. There are those who say that they're Calvinists, and we agree with some things, but there's a lot of things we disagree with. Okay? So there's subgroups within that. Well, every one of these groups has their predispositions and their theological systems. And those theological systems, the way that they've been taught and the way that they've been uh, 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 um, molded, that has made an influence on the way they view certain scriptures. And I'm telling you, brethren, apart from the grace of God, we can't get away from that. It's hard to get away from that. Even one who has been born from above, even today, I'm still, whenever I go through scriptures, I have to ask the Lord to give me guidance and direction on what does this mean, because I have so many predispositions, presuppositions from things that I grew up, because I grew up my whole entire life through a church system all my family all my relatives and all went to church and grew up and my grandpa was my preacher and my family was all you know involved in church and everything like that and and the influence that was there is great but whenever there are things that does not line up with God's word we can't stay just because we love our brothers and sisters or aunts and uncles moms and dads grandpas and grandmas we love them, but if the, if the word of God is saying something different, we have to submit to the word of God. It's not that we don't love our family or love what they've done and even maybe even just the fact of being brought up in a moral sort of environment is great because there's a lot of children out there now not being taught the morals that they ought to be taught. We can say well, we yeah, we love that, but is it the truth? That's what it comes down to. What is the truth? And so when we come to Scripture, we pray that God would give us the truth on these things, and there is one truth. Okay, you can't have, like I said, opposing things and they both be true. So in Romans chapter 4 and verse 16. We see a passage of scripture that says, therefore, it is a faith that it might be, and that word might be is in italics, so that means it isn't actually in the Greek, that it's added there to, for ease of reading. It says, therefore, of, and so it is, by the way, if you see all that in italics, that's what it means. Whenever you see that in your Bible, those italics there, those words are not found actually in the Greek manuscripts from which these things are translated, the King James Bible uh those words there are supplied by the translators because there is no direct translation of that passage or that word that's being translated into something that's coherent in English. Okay? Sometimes that whenever any of y'all ever use Google Translate to translate something whenever you read it it kind of sounds wonky. Well that's because it's doing a direct translation of the words and sometimes the words that's it's being translated from, there's not an English word for it, or the English word that's for it is means something a little different to us. Remember me telling you about the Russian guy that I used to email, and he was talking about oh uh, we had a uh, we had a little frost this morning, and he ended up telling me it was it their tires froze in Siberia, their tires froze, the rubber tires froze. Well, I thought he was making a joke, you know, about it was really, really, really cold, but he just called it a little frost, making a sarcastic joke. Well, no, it was a Google, I found out later that he was using a translate type thing, and it was translating whatever his word for really cold or icy or whatever to frost here. So it didn't make sense to me. Well, sometimes that's why the translators puts in these italic words is because there was no direct translation. So, therefore, a faith that by grace to the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, Not to that only, which is of the law, but to that also, which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Now, there's a whole lot packed in here that we could probably talk about. Matter of fact, the fact that Abraham is the father of us all. Referring back to uh, verse 11 where he was already justified before God before he was ever uh, circumcised. And it wasn't after circumcision. So actually, Abraham was a Gentile whenever he was justified before God. He was already justified and he was a Gentile. So actually, the Gentile experience of justification was before that of the Jew. But in speaking in Romans, Paul is showing that Abraham is not just the father of the Jews, but also of the Gentiles because he was already justified by Christ before he ever did anything. Before he was ever under the law, which the law of circumcision, which Abraham was justified before the law ever came in by Moses. So therefore we see that justification has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with our law keeping. has nothing to do with us following the commands. There's no command that we can follow that can justify us. The Bible says, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. Clear so principle in scripture. So therefore, we're not justified by doing anything. By any obedience. And that includes repentance and faith. Okay? That includes those things. We're not justified by any of those things. Now, when we come to clear teachings of scripture, those clear teachings of scripture always shed the light on the things that seem to be vague, especially whenever we are under the predispositions. Now it says here, therefore it is a faith that it might be by grace. And so I read that and I ask a few questions like that part of the beginning there. It is a faith. What is a faith? It says, Therefore, so it means there's something that was said before this, that it's tying that together. Therefore, therefore, the reason of all this, therefore, it is of faith that it might be of grace. So what is it that the it is talking about there? Therefore, it is of faith. What is a faith? Well, if we look at some predispositions, they will say, well, the it there is talking about Abraham believing. It is a faith. It is Abraham's believing. It is Abraham's believing that it might be by grace. If Abraham believes that That, Therefore, it's by grace. Okay? But what does the context tell us? Therefore, it is of faith, or therefore of faith. Now, again, the it is is not there. It's in italics, but the the gist of that is in the the wording of the verse. Therefore, of faith, that by grace, to the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. So I mean it's implied there, even though it may not be actually there in the manuscripts, it's implied there because of the wording. Therefore, of faith. What is a faith? The promise. Say, well, where'd you get that preacher? Well, if you look and you go back up to verse 13, it says for The promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Now someone's going to say, ah, well there you go. It's through the righteousness of faith. So then therefore, our believing is counted for righteousness because that's the righteousness of faith that he's talking about here. He's talking about the righteousness of faith. So is Scripture teaching us that the righteousness of faith is our belief whenever we believe on Christ whenever we have faith in Christ alone for our salvation is that the righteousness of faith that is being spoken of here I would say no it's not because the overwhelming context before we even get to here In Romans chapter three, and if you would just look over there, verse 20, it says, for the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in the sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. What was witnessed by the law and the prophets? You remember Jesus said to the men on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection when he was walking and they didn't even recognize him. And he's walking along beside them and they was talking about all what's going on. Jesus said, what are y'all talking about? And he said, oh, have you not heard? Where have you been? Have you not heard? And they started talking about all this. And the Bible says that he took those men and he said "In the beginning with Moses, he taught them everything that the law and the prophets were about him. There's several places in the scripture where it talks about the law and the prophets. What is that? The things that Mo- Moses wrote? The things that the prophets wrote? That could mean that. It could mean everything in the law as that, as that symbolic, as that type, as that shadow. And all the prophets, what they were preaching. Because the Bible said that the gospel was preached in the Old Testament. He said that all of that was speaking of him. So who was made manifest? Who is manifest? But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, now it's fixing to tell us what the righteousness of God is. The righteousness of God is not our believing in Christ. The righteousness of God is what? By faith of Jesus Christ, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, not in Jesus Christ. Now, if you have a modern translation Bible that's based off of corrupt Greek texts, it says in Jesus Christ. But the correct translation of that is of Jesus Christ. The faith of Christ is the righteousness of God. See, the righteousness of God is not us believing on Christ. That does not, that does not manifest the righteousness of God. Christ manifested the righteousness of God. God is righteous in and of himself. God in his divinity is righteous. That's who he is. He isn't righteous because he did something righteous. He's righteous because he is the essence of righteousness. And Christ is that God manifested in flesh. All of the Godhead was in Christ Jesus, and Christ Jesus manifested the righteousness of God. And what was the righteousness of God? The faith of Jesus Christ, or we could say the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Faithfulness to what? faithfulness to the covenant. See, Christ covenanted to save His people before the foundation of the world. He covenanted to be the surety, to be the mediator, to be the substitute for His people. And He didn't make that covenant with us. The new covenant is not a covenant with men. Okay, He didn't covenant with us his covenant was a unilateral covenant. Meaning that he made a statement that I will do this. And because God is not like man who can lie, God swore an oath by himself and he couldn't swear by any, anyone greater. Therefore, God, saying that he would do this, <laughs> made sure that it would be done. And he did that by manifesting himself in the flesh, and coming himself in the flesh, and producing in the flesh a righteousness that we in the flesh cannot produce. He substituted his righteousness that he performed for our righteousness that we cannot perform. Our righteousnesses are what? Filthy rags. Filthy rags. The Bible says there. As a matter of fact, look there, at Romans three eleven. There is none that understandeth God. Why? Verse ten. There is none righteous. No, not one. And it says there. There is none that understandeth. Now, is that not clear? How clear is that? Now, that clear verse should shed the light on all those unclear verses. Whenever the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.14 that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God nor can he understand them. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. There are some that say that well people that are lost or that are not saved or that are not born again they can understand the Scriptures and the Gospels. Well, let's compare that predisposition with the Word of God. There is none that understand it. Well, there are some that can understand. There are some that understands. Well, they have to understand or they can't get saved. That's what they say. Well, we have to have some understanding to believe. There is what? None that understand it. What does God's word say? There is none that understand it. There is none that seeketh after God. Now, that right there tells me there is none that, that understand, and there is none that seek after God. Now, someone who disagrees with us to say, well, wait a minute, we understand and we sought after God, so obviously that's not true. Your predisposition is now taking over. Well, wait a minute. If the Bible says there is none that seeketh after God, and there is none that understand, and then it says that there are some that seek, and there are some that understand, So now what we got to do? There can't be a contradiction between God's Word because God doesn't contradict Himself. So where's the contradiction at? It's in our understanding. It's in our ignorance. It's in our lack of understanding. We lack the understanding of what this or this means. Or there's something in between that we don't know. So we pray to God. Well, what is it? Because over here you say none understand. None seeks. But over here you say that there are some that understand and some that seek. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Well, why would God say that unless someone could seek? Well, none seek after God. That seems to be contradictory, don't it? Something is going on in the middle between those things that we are ignorant of. And we need the Holy Spirit to teach us about. So what is it? Well, it is the fact that the understanding and the seeking by the natural man can't be done. It can only be done when one is made spiritually alive. The Bible says that we are dead in trespasses and sins. Now that's not talking about our physical fleshly body. That's talking about who we are in spirit. We are created as all men have been since the beginning with Adam. All men are created natural, not spiritual. And that is where the predisposition evades almost every religion that claims to be Christian. It evades every religion that Adam was made spiritual and lost it. In the fall. But the Bible doesn't teach that Adam was ever spiritual. Corinthians 15 says that Adam was made natural. And that which was spiritual was came after that. Being made natural means being made without the Spirit of God. Adam was made without the Spirit of God. That is why Adam did what he did. Because this natural man cannot... Keep the law of God. The natural man cannot receive or perceive the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. They don't understand it. They don't re- receive it. They don't believe it. They can't hold it. They can't trust it. They can't love it. They can't do anything. Why? Because it's foolishness to them because they're ignorant of the truth. And when I say ignorant, I'm not talking in a derogatory way. I'm talking about they are ignorant of the truth. I'm ignorant of a lot of things. I'm sure. That I've yet to be taught. And I've been ignorant of things in the past until the Lord taught me those things. It's ignorance. It means lack of understanding. I am ignorant of that fact. And some people are ignorant of the fact because they have yet to be taught by the Holy Spirit of God. So we now have these two contradictions. What is the thing in the middle that makes these where they're not contradictory? The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, nor can he. That speaks of ability, doesn't it? Nor can he. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. The Bible also says, I don't want to misquote it here, let me turn over. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But it says here, but God hath revealed them unto us. Who's us? children of God. The people of God. But God hath revealed them unto us. How? By our reading? By our seeking? By our searching? By our coming to church and listening to the preacher preach? By memorizing scripture? How has God revealed? But God hath revealed them unto us. By his spirit. The spirit searches all things. Yea the deep things of God. For what man knoweth. The things of man. Save the spirit of man which is in him. Even so. The things of God knoweth no man. But the spirit of God. Now we have received. Not the spirit of the world. But the spirit which is of God. For what purpose. Read it in your scriptures there with me. We all got King James Bibles. Let's all read it together. Why does, why do we receive the Spirit of God? That we might know. That we might know. Why is it that some understand and some don't? Because the Spirit of God has revealed it to them. Whenever the Spirit of God reveals that to the person, they now come from this category. There is none that seeketh after God because why? They're natural man. But whenever they become the spiritual man, when the spiritual man comes alive in them and teaches them and reveals them truth, they now understand why? Because God has taught them. Man can't teach. Natural man can't hear. Natural man can't understand. Now, brethren, that's not me trying to be a Calvinist. That's not me trying to be a Reformed. That's not me trying to be a sovereign gracer. That's not me trying to find any theological system or creed or confession or anything else. That is what the Spirit says. That's what the Bible says. It's very plain here that these things are not understood except for the Spirit revealing them. And the Spirit reveals them when the Spirit is in you. Paul began this, he said, And my speech... And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, our faith doesn't stand in what men do through preaching and listening and hearing and responding and and mission work. That's what not where our faith stands. Our Faith stands in the power of God to be able to come into a person without having to ask, without having to knock on the door of the heart. That He can come in and create life in that person and teach that person and reveal truth to them so that they can know truth that they couldn't have known in their natural self. And that, brethren, is grace. That was grace. All of us was under that same condemnation because we were in Adam. The condemnation of being we are sinners. And as being sinners, we are dead in trespasses and sins. We have no spirit of God in us. And therefore, we cannot have activity within the spirit. We cannot have knowledge within the spirit. We cannot have hope within the spirit. We cannot have assurance within the spirit. We cannot have spiritual life and spiritual things coming and flowing into our understanding because we are dead spiritually dead in trespasses and sins, unable to come, unable to believe, unable to repent. We couldn't do it. Why? Because it's against our nature. I mean, that dog right there, can it take off and fly and land up in that tree? No. Why? Because it's against his nature. He's a dog. That bird that's out there on the post... Can it dive underwater and breathe and, and, and swim around? No. Why? Because it's against its nature. It's not a fish. The natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. Why? Because it's against his nature. That's why Paul was making this argument here. That for what man knoweth the things of man save the spirit of man in him. He's saying the nature of man knows the nature of man. But the Spirit of God is the only one that knows the Spirit of God. Only those that are spiritual know spiritual things. Those who are of the flesh know fleshly things, but they can't know spiritual things because it's not their nature. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. No one can see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. No one can receive or enter in the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. Why? Because you're natural. And this kingdom is spiritual. These things are spiritual. And so we have to be made spiritual. And that, So that's why Paul said that we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. That's, so that's not our spirit, right? <laughs> that, that's God's spirit. He said that we might receive, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. This is a spirit that is outside of us, that comes into us. And it's only when that spirit is in us, That we can understand spiritual things as God reveals them and teaches them to us. But it says there, that we might know. The Spirit is given that we might know the things that are what? Freely given to us. Not things that we have to work for. Not things that we have to meet a condition or earn. That is not. What this is saying, it's saying that we might know what is freely given to us, which things also we speak, not in the words of man's wisdom, which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. See, again, it's all about the spiritual application, not the physical. It's not about you physically doing anything. It's about a work of God in you that is a spiritual work. Now, we're going to get into that in just a second, Lord willing. Verse 14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So that's a clear principle of Scripture. That isn't Paul trying to correct wayward Christians And telling them that there are some that are not saved that can understand. That's not what this is saying. Yes, is Paul correcting the Christians in Corinth? Absolutely. Did he call them carnal? Absolutely he did. They were acting carnal. But Paul right here is laying down spiritual principles in why some believe, why some understand, and why some don't. Because in Corinth, There were those who were associating with those Christians who may not have been truly Christians. Just as in today, in our churches, there may be some tares that come in among the wheat, some goats that come in among the sheep. You see a herd of goats and sheep out in the pasture, sometimes it's hard to tell which one's a goat, which one's a sheep, until you get up real close to them. But sometimes they look kind of similar. A wheat and a tear. Whenever you see a wheat and you see a tear, they look almost identical. But here Paul is saying that the natural man is not going to receive, cannot receive. It's an inability. He cannot know them. Because There's a causal factor on why they cannot know them. It's not because somebody hasn't got to them yet and told them. It isn't because they're not smart enough. It isn't because the preacher isn't educated enough. It isn't because they haven't been under some program that the Southern Baptist Convention has thought up to make people saved. The causal factor of them... Not knowing is because they are not spiritual. The things of God are spiritually discerned. Therefore, you have to be spiritual to know those things. So back to my question. It is a faith. What is a faith? Well, the promise. Go back to our passage in Romans chapter 4. It is of faith. What is the faith? The promise. The promise of what? What is the promise? I mean, we even see it in verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. What promise? The promise that they would be heirs of righteousness. The promise that they would be heirs. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world, Abraham was made a promise. He was promised that he would have, he would be the father, and that there would be heirs that would come after him, and that there would be a seed, and out of that one seed that he would bless the whole entire world, not just of the Jews, but of the Gentiles, not meaning every person head for head. That he would be the father of all the faithful. All those who were of faith. Does that mean that that's where faith began? Is with Abraham? No. God called him the, uh, the father of faith, so to speak. But Abraham wasn't the first one to believe. There were people before Abraham that believed. So the promises of... The righteousness of faith. But the righteousness of faith is not us believing. It's Christ and his faith. Look at that again over in uh, Romans 3. For if the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ uh, unto all, and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. There you go, upon all them that believe. So this righteousness of God only comes upon those that believe. That's true. I don't have a problem with that. It's absolutely true. But that's not saying that the reason they got the righteousness of God was because they believed. That's not what that's saying. That's what people want to make it say because of their what? Predisposition. But the scripture here is saying that these people are the ones that this righteousness is applied to. They're a group of people. They're the ones who believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You remember a few weeks ago we talked about the world, who the world was? And we found out that the world that Christ died for is not everybody head for head, but it was those who was given given by the Father to the Son. That that was the world, and that they would be the ones who would be given to Christ, and all that was given to Christ shall come, and that word come means believe. Who shall come to me. So who are the believing ones? The ones who were given to the Father. So that is a group of people. That is a name that God has given to his people, believers. Those who believe. They're only the only ones who believe are the ones who have been given that belief. So the righteousness of God, which is by faith, not because of faith, but by faith of Christ Jesus. So it was his faithfulness. Faithfulness in doing what? Faithfulness in coming and keeping and fulfilling the law for us. He fulfilled all righteousness. All the law and all what the law demanded, Christ fulfilled in his obedience for our justification and in his death to appease the wrath of God for our debt that we owed. The wages of sin is death. No man, no wicked person is going to be acquitted. The Bible says God will not acquit the wicked. The wicked is going to be taken care of. Every sin is going to be taken care of. Every sin is going to be paying that debt. And it's either going to be by Jesus, or it's going to be by the person. If Jesus substituted for you, none of your sin is going to be counted towards you. But those who are not Christ's children... They're going to stand and give an account for their own sins. And those sins are going to be ever before them. Those sins are not going to be wiped away. God's not going to turn to his blind eye. He's not going to fudge just a little and say, well, you were pretty good most of your life. He's not going to give any lenience. He will destroy all who sin. So well, that's not fair. The Bible nowhere says anything about fairness. It talks about God's right as the sovereign creator to choose some vessels under wrath and some vessels under destruction and others to life and salvation and glory. Hath not the Potter power over the clay to make one vessel a vessel under glory and one vessel unto destruction? Yes, the answer is always yes. God has that right. Do you have a right to ask back, why did you make me this way then? You can't find fault with me. You made me this way, so you can't judge me. You can't send me to hell for something that you predestinated me to do. Who art thou, old man, to reply back to God, why hast thou made me thus? We don't have that right. You think you have the right. Right. And you can claim that right all you want and shake your fist in God's face and say, you made me this way and that's not fair. I will never serve a God like that who predestines people for this or predestinates people for that. I'm never going to serve a God that loves some and doesn't love others and saves some and doesn't save others. Well, brethren, you're denying the God of Scripture. And the reason that you don't receive that is because you're still in the natural man state. And the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to him. And the predestination of God of some to life and some to death is foolishness to those who are lost. Correction, to those who are reprobate. We learn also that lost is the sheep. To those who have not been given understanding, these things are foolishness. So therefore it is a faith that it might be by grace. So my other question is this. How is it made sure? Cause it says right there that it might be made sure. That the promise might be made sure. Now let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. I know we're getting close to time here and we may have to pick up with this maybe again next week if the Lord wills. If, if this promise is of faith, and that means our having faith in Christ, then how in the world is it made sure to every seed that they're going to get that promise? you ever thought of that? What if some don't believe? I mean, there's all kinds of questions that come to my mind. How do we know who the seed is? Well, who's the seed? Is the seed talking about everybody? Because the promise is made to the seed. It's not made to everybody. It's made to the seed. So who's the seed? Are you thinking that the seed is everybody? Because if it is, then that means everybody that is the seed. The Bible says this promise is made sure to all of them. Well, if that's the case, guess what? You've now crossed over into our lane. God's predestination. If you're the seed, how is it that you're determined to be the seed? Because the promise was made to the seed before the seed was ever made manifest. Because we were predestinated that. And he says it's going to be sure to everyone. That promise was made to the seed before anybody was ever created. Why? Because the seed was Christ Jesus. Galatians tells us that. He was not talking about seeds as in plural, but seeds singular. The promise was made to the seed. And then all those who were put in Christ Jesus as our representative, we received the promises. Why? Because we are heirs in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter one: We are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, as God has chosen us in Him. So, if the seed is made, it it sure made sure to the seed. Then that means there is no wavering. There's nobody going to. If they're part of that seed, if they're in that seed then there is no way that it, that promise is not going to be made to them and, and not going to be kept for them. So there's no way that they can falter, right? But if it's by our faith, what if somebody doesn't believe? So now the Armenian who says that this is talking about our faith here, our believing, is in a quandary. Because they say that it's made. if it's made sure, now what are they going to do with that? If it's made sure to all the seed, then how do you get to be the seed? Is it by belief? Well how, how is it by belief? Because the promise is made to the seed before the seed was ever made manifest. The promise was made to the seed before any of its children were made manifest. The promise was made before Adam fell. It was revealed in time. For He has saved us, called us, and saved us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world, but now has been made manifest in the appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It was made before it was ever manifested. The promise was there. Abraham looked to Christ who was way far off and he seen from afar and he believed in God and Abraham reckoned that seed the promise the righteousness of faith that was to be for him as his righteousness. That's what Genesis 15 is talking about. Now, Pastor, what do you say all that? Because if it is by our faith, it is not made sure because how many of you has had perfect faith? Anybody? Anybody had perfect faith? Matter of fact, we're told that we're given faith in measure. Not in full. Not in totality. We're given it in measure by the Scriptures. And if we're given it in in, in measure, then that means that some have... Less faith and some have more faith. And some days I may have more and some days I have less. Therefore, I have a wavering faith. And how can that be sure if my faith wavers? Hey, maybe I not have faith today. Hey, I have doubts. How many of y'all have ever doubted your salvation? <clears throat> but not only that, It can't be made sure because some may never believe. There again, the Armenian comes into a quandary because they believe that anybody can believe. You just got to convince them. You just got to keep working at it. Work on them. Keep preaching the gospel to them. That anybody can believe long as they will freely choose to believe. But there's where This whole verse comes down to the nitty-gritty. The reason that Jesus, by way of Paul here, says that it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed. The reason he says that, and the reason that it's made sure, is because the faith that is in view is not our faith. There's only one person's faith who was ever sure. There's one person's faith who was perfect, and that was Jesus. And we are clearly told that it is his faith that justified us. By the faith of Christ. It is by the faith of Christ that the righteousness of God is revealed. God's righteousness is is revealed in Christ's faithfulness. Faithfulness to the covenant. Faithfulness to the law. Faithfulness to all that God had given him to do, he did. It was his faithfulness that is the righteousness of God that is imputed, put on our account. It is his righteousness that is imputed to us, not because we believe in him, but because He accomplished it for us and then He gives us faith to receive it, to believe it. Not to receive it by choosing it and taking it and saying, well, I'll make a choice and, and take it. That's not what I mean by receiving. By receiving meaning that it's no longer foolishness to me. I received that as truth before I was rejecting it as foolishness. But now that I have a spiritual mind, I see I had an inability. I don't have faith. Matter of fact, the Bible clearly states that all men have not faith. There's another quandary for the Armenian who wants to say that this is talking about Abraham's faith. Our faith is what justifies us. Our faith is what gets us the righteousness of God. That our righteousness is counted to us or God's righteousness is counted to us because we believe. That's the quandary. All men have not faith. And how do men have faith? Just like knowledge. All men have not knowledge. All men don't understand. None understand. How is it? There's that contradiction again. If all men have not faith, and the Bible talks about us having faith, then how is it that there is Those two things in Scripture may not be contradictory. There has to be something in the middle that clears it all up. One, we're ignorant of the fact we must be taught by the Spirit. And what's the facts say? Well, the facts say this in John chapter 6 and verse 28. John chapter 6 and verse 28. I'm going to try to. I'm just going to preach until the Lord releases me here, rather than if it goes long, it goes long. John chapter 6 and verse 28, I believe. Yes. It says, Then they said unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? See, that's the other question that I had about that verse. When I was thinking about that verse. Because there are some that say, that faith is not a word. Therefore, whenever the Bible says that we are saved by faith, which the Bible doesn't say that we're saved by faith. It says we're saved by grace through faith. And that, not of yourselves. Wait a minute. Everybody in the world seems to apply Ephesians 2 to our faith. For by grace are you saved through your faith. And that not of yourselves. That's a contradiction in and of itself. By your faith. That's what the Arminian says. But guess what? The Reform says this. For by grace are you saved through your faith. But it's not really your faith. It's the faith that Christ gave you whenever he caused you to be born again. That life precedes faith. So therefore you were born again and now you have faith but now your faith has to be exercised and once you exercise that faith then what God has provided for you then God will bestow upon you. There's no difference between the reformed belief and the Arminian belief. Both of them say faith is the hinge pin to either get you saved or to show that you're saved. Both of them Say that God can't justify, God can't save, God can't declare you just until you believe. Well brother, it says right here, faith is a work. But they'll say, well your faith ain't a work for progression, you safety, faith, that's a gift of God. The gift of God is the faith of Christ on your behalf. Not your faith being an activity. It's the faith of Christ keeping the covenant, keeping the law, being your substitute, faithing, if you would allow me this term, faithing on your behalf. That's what is the gift of God. Christ is faith. Whenever you see that word faith, look at it as Christ. Christ is your gift. Isn't Isn't that what was promised to Abraham? I will be your shield and your keep your keep your hand in John. I'm going to misquote this <coughs> Genesis uh, 15. <coughs> Genesis 15, look at verse one. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham or Abram in a vision, saying, "Fear not, Abram." I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And what did he say? Look at verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord. Who's the word of the Lord, by the way? Who's the word of the Lord? Anybody? Jesus. Jesus. The word of the Lord is... Jesus. Now, this is... Remember, this is... God came and talked to Abraham face to face. He came to him, talked to him face to face. Who is it that's talking to him face to face? The Word of the Lord. Who is the Word of the Lord? Jesus. (gasps) Are you saying that Jesus existed before the New Testament? I don't know. I'm not saying that the Bible says it. The word of the Lord came to Abraham. What did he say? The Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he sought him forth abroad, and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. Now in Galatians, we are told that this seed is not all the peoples of the world. It's not talking about the twelve tribes. It's not talking about ethnic Israel. It was talking about Christ. So shall thy seed be, seed be singular, not plural. And he believed in him. Now pay close attention because this is what Paul is quoting in Romans chapter 4. Paul is quoting from here. So let's look at the context here. God has already promised him, fear not, Jesus said, I am Thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And he said that if thou be able to number them, so shall thy seed be. And he, who's he? Abraham. Believed in the Lord. Who's the Lord? Christ. And he, Abraham, counted it. What is it? We'll go back. What is before that? That that could that it can be referring to the seed. And he counted it. Who the seed? Well, who is the seed? The seed is the one who is going to be the shield and the exceeding great reward your shield and exceeding great reward, your shield from the wrath of God, your shield from all that is going to befall you in judgment in the natural land, Christ is going to be your shield. And He's also going to be your exceeding great reward. He's going to be your gift. He is going to be what's bestowed upon you, given to you, And so we see that to be called the seed in verse 5. Therefore, Abraham in verse 6, And Abraham, he believed in the Lord Christ, and he, Abraham, counted it the seed to him, Abraham, for righteousness. Why? Because he was preached... Just exactly what we have seen in Romans chapter 4 and why Paul is referring back to Genesis chapter 15 is that, let me get back over here, that the righteousness of God is by faith of Jesus Christ. He is their faith. He is faith. For all have sin and come short of the glory of God. That's why nobody this is why it can't be by faith. It can't be by faith because we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and everything that we do in this flesh is tainted with sin. And any faith that is given to us is an exercise of God in us. Faith is a spiritual work. It is worked in by the Spirit of God. It can't be mustered up. It can't be decided upon today. I want to be strong in faith. It can't be built up by listening to multitudes of messages. It can only come as it's given in measure by Jesus Christ through the Spirit of God. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus We are justified by Christ. Justified by Christ. Justified by Christ. Not justified by our faith. Justified by Christ alone. His faith was part of that justification process. His faith. His obedience. His blood. His righteousness. His grace. His resurrection. All these things are said to be what justified us. What does that mean? All that work of Christ on our behalf, whether it be for our substitute as our keeper or our substitute as our sacrifice, Christ fulfilled in all for us. That was the righteousness of God and that was what was accounted for. That was what was accredited to. That was what was reckoned to. Abraham for righteousness. Not Abraham's coming out of the Ur of the Chaldees. Not Abraham's believing that he was going to give him a son. Not Abraham's believing that anything else was going to happen. But Abraham believed that God was going to keep his promise that this man, the Lord, would be his shield and be his reward and that it would be unto him and through that seed there would be others who would come and believe and be part of this spiritual family. And he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. It isn't that God counted faith to Abraham for righteousness. Because the righteousness of God is not got by faith of us, brethren. It is not by our faith. (coughs) That's why we were back in John chapter 6, Jesus said, what shall we, or the people said, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. So is faith the work of God? Look, look, at, your, look at your verse there. John 6, 28, 29. <clears throat> this is the work of God that ye believe on him whom he hath sent." So, what's the work of God? You, you guys know this. It's not hard. What's the work of God? Huh? Right there. Read it. Come on. Speak up. The word of God, the work of God, is that ye believe. So is faith a work? The answer would be yes, right? It does not God God's word tell us that faith is a work? Yes, it is. So if someone tells you that faith is not a work, that's contradictory to God's word. Not contradictory to Mike or Mike's system, Calvin system, Hill's system, Spurgeon system, or any other preacher that you want to set up or theological group you want to join. This is the word. They said, what must we do to do the works of God? Jesus didn't tell them to do anything, did he? That would have been a good place for Jesus to say, believe on him. If you'll believe on him, you're doing the works of God. But Jesus didn't say that. He said, this is the work of God that ye Believe. So faith is a work. It's just not your work. It's not something that you can do. Why? Because all men have not faith. Faith is a gift. And it can only be received. It can only be used. It can only be done if the Spirit of God gives it to you. Has to be given to you. It's a gift. And the Bible says that that gift of faith is given to us in measure. So that means that we can't puff up or build up our faith on our own. That it has to be done in a spiritual way. <clears throat> so faith is a work. Why is it, why is, why, do, why does it have to be a work of God? Why? I mean, don't you guys have faith? Every one of you came in here this morning, and you had faith that those things that you're sitting in would hold you up. You didn't come in here and think that you were going to fall on the floor when you sit down, did you? Mm-hmm. No, why? Because our couches look pretty sturdy, right? We had faith that would do that. You had faith whenever Zach come pick you up, that car was going to get you here, right? That mm-hmm. fall off, I don't know. You might have had. A little doubt there that it's going to run off the road, but it very well could have been. Yeah. But we all have natural faith, right? We all have faith. You know, every time I go into an x-ray room and I start troubleshooting a thing, I have faith that I won't be able to do that without getting shot. We all have natural faith. That's not what we're talking about. There are some that say, well, we just take that faith and we move it from this object to that object. No sorry Bob. Georgie, that's not what we're talking about. If faith is something that is already inherent in man, then it's not a gift, right? Right? Whose Bible is this? Who Bible is this? Of course. Hmm. Got my name on it. My Bible. (laughs) The next door neighbor comes up to me and says, Hey, how do you like that Bible I gave you? It's a gift for me. You didn't give me that. It's mine. I already had it. You didn't give me that Bible. I already possessed (laughs) it. It's not a gift. I already possess it. You didn't give that to me. So what do we think whenever someone says that faith is something that every man has that they can just exercise? They just have to change the object of their faith. From trusting in their works to trusting in the Christ. We just change the object of our faith. Well, then was faith really a gift? It was already there and they just decided to trust that no more and that from now on. That's what they're saying. Is that what the scripture says? John six forty four <clears throat> It says, No man can come or believe... Except the Father which hath sent me draw him. No man can believe. Paul, he uh he said the same thing to the Philippians. John said it, or actually Jesus said it. John wrote it down. There in John, but in Philippians chapter one. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29 says, For unto you it is given in behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Now don't let the rest of that verse and everything surrounding that tear away from the fact that it says here, that unto you, Philippian believers, it is given in behalf of Christ. Not only to believe, but to suffer for his sake. That is given by God. To believe is to be given belief. So what is the work of God that you believe? God works faith in us. It's a spiritual fruit. It's a spiritual work. That means it's worked in the spirit, by the spirit. Not by you. Why? Because you're flesh and you cannot please God. You are flesh and everything that is in the flesh is full of sin. There is nobody in the flesh that can please God. The works of the flesh are all unpleasing and sinful before God. So, to kind of summarize all this, Back at our verse. We see here that faith isn't something that anybody can act on their own. It's something that has to be given by God. Okay, something that to, to be able to believe on Christ Jesus, I have to be first made spiritual so that I might understand what's been freely given to me. And whenever I understand what's been freely given to me, then I'm given that faith to believe that that's sufficient. There's no need, Michael, for you to keep having to keep all these laws to be righteous before God. There's no need for you, Michael, to do all these things that you think you have to do so that God will be pleased with you, so that you guys can hold hands and walk down the beach. You know, the old pictures that everybody's got in their house called Footprints and oh, here I am walking along beside Jesus and all of a sudden it goes from two footprints to one. Oh, that's the part where he had to pick me up and carry me. But then all of a sudden there's the two footprints again. I stood on my own feet. Now I'm walking with Jesus. I am having to carry me. No, no, no. It's not got anything to do with anything that we do. It's got to do with everything Christ has done. That faith is what is worked in us. So, in Romans 4, I turned to the wrong place. Romans 4, again, it is of faith that it might be by grace the reason it says that. It is of faith, the faith of Jesus, that it might be by grace. Why does it say that? Because what Jesus did was outside of and apart from anything that any people did. It was Him alone that did it. Therefore, if anybody gets that righteousness of God imputed to them, it's by grace. Why? Because he's the only one that has it. He's the only one that has that righteousness. And he's the only one who can disperse that righteousness in the accounts. Okay? He's the only one that can say, I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you. Doesn't the Bible say that he will have mercy on whom he will have mercy? And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion? Doesn't it say that Jesus has been given power over all flesh to give his eternal life to as many as God has given him? So he has the power over all flesh to give that life to everyone that God has given. Why? Because God wrote it down in the book of life before the foundation of the world. That was God's purpose and decree. These are the people that are going to get life. Who's going to get life? Everyone's written in the book of life. Okay? They're the ones getting in, in the book of life. How is that possible? Because they're going to be sinners. They're going to be sinners. How can God give life to sinners? Someone has to substitute for them. Someone has to perform everything that they're not going to be able to do because they're sinners. Someone's got to pay their debt that they owe because they actually were sinners. Jesus, the substitute, the mediator between God and man, came and took all of God's wrath, did all of man's obedience. But who did he do it for? Everyone whose name was written in the Lamb's book of life. Why? Because he had to do that for them before God could give life. Before God could justify. Christ had to be their substitute. And thank God for the Old Testament saints. That God considered that. Even before Christ came in time. And died on the cross. That he stood as the lamb slain. Before the foundation of the world. Therefore good old Abraham. Was saved even though Christ. Had not yet died on the cross yet. And he was saved. Exactly the same way. That we're saved today. He was saved by the work and obedience of Jesus Christ. And his death on the cross. His resurrection. His mediatorial work. That's what saved Abraham. Not his faith. Not the gospel. Not the church. Not baptism. Not the law. The objective work of Christ alone saved him. So therefore it is of faith. That it might be by grace. Grace is something that is given to us that we don't deserve. That is not ours. God gives us grace. How can he give us grace if it's something that we work for? And if we were the ones who did the believing, if we were the ones who had the faith and just changed the object, then we have done the work instead of God doing the work. But the Bible says the work of faith, as far as putting it in Christ Jesus is not a work that we can do, because all men have not faith. But the work that is that one that looks to Jesus alone is a gift of God, and the Bible says this is the work of God, not your work. It's the work of God that you believe. How is it a work of God? Well, for one, it was a work of God who came in the flesh and faith for you 100% and laid that to your account. And then what faith we have now in experience, in measure... God has given to us as a gift so that we might know what has been freely given to us. So that we might have hope that what Christ did is been ours. Let me go back. So that we might know that we have been shielded from the wrath of God, which, by the way, never was upon the elect child of God, ever, but that there was the shield of God's wrath against us, which was the blood of Christ on the mercy seat, but it was also our exceeding great reward of his righteousness being given to us. Christ himself. It's all about Christ. Everything's about Christ. All of salvation is about Christ. It is Christ, 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 not us. So therefore it is a faith that it might be by grace and because it was Christ who did it and not dependent upon us accomplishing something, it can be sure to all the seed. Why? Because whenever he died, he died only for the seed. Those who would believe. All those who were uh, ordained to eternal life believed. Who are the believers? The ones who are ordained to eternal life. Who are the believers? The ones who were given to Christ by the Father. They shall come to me. They believe. They shall believe on me. They shall come to me. Jesus said, all that come to me, I will in no wise cast out. That wasn't an open invitation offer to anybody and everybody. That was an open invitation offer to his sheep who hear his voice and follow him. Everybody else don't follow him. They get on that broad road and they walk the broad road because everything else on this narrow road is foolishness to them. The only way that he can be sure to all the seed is if Christ accomplishes it. Because he's the only one that can do it to perfection. He's the only one that can make sure that it's done. God said, I will do all my purposes. I will accomplish all that I, uh, all my pleasure. He said, I will be the one that does it. Brethren, if he does it, then you can be sure it's going to be to everyone. But it was sure to his seed because it was for his seed that he actually came to do it. So therefore, every one of that seed is going to have faith given to them. Every one of that seed is going to believe on him. And everybody that is not part of that, they're going to remain in unbelief. Because it will not be mixed with faith. Not them mixing it with faith because God didn't give them faith. Faith is not something that we can Control. Faith is something that God enables. It's a work of God. Is faith a work of God? Is faith a work? Absolutely it is, but it is a work of God. And it is because it is a work of God that it is sure to all see. Alright. Well, way, way over. That's alright. We don't care about time constraints here. I hope we don't. That's what we're here for today, right? All right, let's pray. Anybody have any questions or any comments or anything before we close? Anybody? All right. Lord, we thank you for this day and we thank you once again for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for sovereign grace. We thank you for irresistible grace coming to sinners who could not understand, who could not come, who could not believe, who could not do anything righteous, who could not keep your law, who despised you, who rejected you. You you came and did all that for sinners. We know, Father, that we are unworthy of everything that you have done on our behalf. But, Father, we're grateful that you have given it to us. That you are our shield and our exceeding great reward. We thank you, Father, that you have imputed your righteousness to us. We are thankful that you, by your faithfulness, obeyed God on our behalf. We're thankful that you took our death for us. And that the wrath of God that you experienced for us is not given to us. We know that you have declared that we have not been appointed under wrath, but we surely, surely deserved it. And it is only by grace that we have it. Only by grace that we experience it. So Father Lord, I just pray today that this has been a comfort to your people, that you have spoken to them, that you instructed them. Father, I pray that your uh, grace and mercy might be uh given to those that are here, to those that are listening or watching, wherever they might be. Father, we pray that you just might uh, glorify yourself through Christ Jesus, Lord, that you might keep us faithful. Again, we thank you for all these things. Again, we want to pray for uh, these uh, brethren that has contacted us from uh, Africa, Zambia, Africa, and from Australia. Lord, we pray that you would be with them, keep them safe, Lord, that you would uh, strengthen them uh, and that you would uh, grow them in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if it be your will, Lord, that you might raise up others, uh, they might worship together, they might be edified one to another, Lord, and that they might uh, uh, rejoice in uh, the blessedness of being a part of a local church. Father again we thank you for all these things and we ask that uh, you bless them for Christ's sake it's in his name that we pray Amen